Hey everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and the brightest from the world of business, marketing and entrepreneurship to help you harness your inner tenacity and drive your career forward. My guest today, Alan Patrickoff, is an American investor, and one of the early pioneers of venture capital and private equity industries. He is the founder of Apex Partners, Braycroft Partners and originally Patrickoff Company Ventures. And Alan started his career early, started his career early managing the Gottsman Pulp and Paper of Fortune and focused his efforts on the new private companies in the portfolio. And in 1967, he invested in New York Magazine, a new publication then where he served as the founding chairman of the board. And in 1969, he was able to raise $2.5 million and founded one of the first venture capital firms, Patrickoff Company Ventures. And in 77, he founded the private equity firm Apex Partners and finally Greycroft in 2006. And there's a ton of documentation of Alan's career story, including his book, No Red Lights. And I'm going to take a slightly different approach in this episode than I normally do and get a little bit more strategic and philosophical in my questions. So let's get to it. Alan, thank you for joining me on the show. We did it. We made it. Well, uh, let's see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, you're an absolute legend. And first and foremost, thank you so much for your, for your time today. So I'd love to get your hot take. I mean, with everything happening in the economy in the world right now, what is the current state of venture capital? A little bit of a broad question, but the venture capital business, uh, I'm happy to say, has really been strong almost since the day I started in 1950. We've had periodic cycles, uh, but that's very natural for any business. But uh, basically, entrepreneurism, risk taking, startups just don't go away even in the worst of times i mean valuations may come down a bit fundraising may be more difficult but uh there's an inexorable desire of people to uh, start things and build companies and take risks uh which is one of the exciting things about the american economy frankly it's what's exciting about it, and, and for sure. W- what do you think needs to be disrupted? I mean, we talk about the word disruption, and disruption seems to be a buzzword, and disruption is what I feel any good entrepreneur is going to do. They want to change something in a particular line of business. So in the current state, of, of what needs to be changed, in your opinion? I, I think anything. that's too broad a question. I mean, what needs to be changed? Well, let me, let me, let me, let me shift that around a little bit. When you talk to, to newer founders, regardless of age, is there something that they're overseeing? Is there a step that they're not taking that's critical in the process of being a successful founder? No, I, 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 I think that's that's a hard question to ask. I mean, uh, uh, no, I, I think you have to rephrase the question. I, I honestly, that's too hard for me. I, I don't know what it means. Sure. Well, let me let me put it this way. I mean, is there is there a saturation 
against true innovation oh, right now? Is there, no, is there? No, no. As I say, there, there never is. I mean, uh, I, I think we have an abundance in the venture industry of more applications of existing technology rather than new technologies. I don't think uh, we see that as much. Uh, but I think that, uh, uh, you know, there's things happening. I mean, my principal focus right now, for example, is my new firm that I started two years ago, Primetime Partners, which is a new venture fund to invest in anything that serves the the older generation, let's say over 50, over 60, uh, which is a marketplace that no one really looked at. Are people disrupting things? I don't think they're disrupting. I think they're saying, here's a big, big market that's growing faster than any other segment of the population. They need everything. And so let's start a company to uh, advise them on their financial work, advise them on their insurance, advise them on caregiving, advise them on uh, telemedicine, advise them on, on supplying products. Uh, so we've developed a portfolio of 27 companies already. I'm not trying to promote on company, just answer the question. No, no, this I'm is fantastic. Your question. We have 27 companies who do lots of different things. They're all focused on one consumer, and that's the over 50, over 60 consumer. Uh, but I don't think anyone is disrupting. I think they're creating new products to serve a very fast-growing market that has, frankly, up until recently been overlooked because everybody's been focused on millennials. Interesting. And let me ask you this. Are the founders of those companies that are servicing the older generation or targeting the, that demographic, are they in that demographic or are they That's much younger? That's very interesting. Uh, I happen to be able to tell you that of the 27, four are over the age of 50. And most of them are younger people who have uh, had some reason to know about a problem that exists whether it's software billing for senior living facilities or they know about they have a, a cousin or a brother or a husband, a wife who has been affected by something from getting older, whether it's a disease like cancer or Alzheimer's or whether it's just aging at home. Longevity is the issue, uh, loneliness, or, uh, and they see it and they say, I've got an idea. Let me start a company to serve this particular need. And, and it's fantastic. I had a founder on my show a year ago, a gentleman down in Miami who started this company called Papa, where it was. Papa is one of the leading companies in our field. We are not an investor because it got started before we started Primetime. But if Primetime had been in operation, that's the kind of company we would invest. There are people, He's, they're using college students to. to it's visit a great concept. people at home, but there is another company that's using retired teachers to do it. And and it's so interesting you say that. My parents are down in Boynton Beach and they're, and they're retired, both New York City Board of Ed teachers. And my dad does that naturally. Friends and family within his community that they live in down there. So it's really building upon that. I want to I take a step back and ask you something about your, your esteemed life. And you've ser- correct me if I'm wrong, you served in the military not once but twice and we're recording today on Veterans Day. So first and foremost, Thank you. Thank you. Thank for, you for your, my your service. service I know. No one's ever said that to me. Never. <laughs> but we, we, we truly mean it because freedom is not free. And we would not be on this call today without the great men and women um, who, who have served our country. But it's such an, a broad question. But whenever I talk to somebody with the experience that you have, 
What has been that biggest effect of your time serving on your life? Well, I served twice. Once uh, in, uh, in 1958, and then again, I was called back as a reservist in 1961 when the Berlin Wall crisis developed and served for another year. Uh, so uh, I have to give you that framework. And I would say that I really uh, feel for the people who were reservists who got called back in Iraq or Afghanistan, wherever, and what it does in terms of disrupting your life. So I don't think everybody understands the significance. It's different than the, than the permanent standing army, right. who that's their career. But uh, you have had a lot of reservists who have been called back. And that is, uh, uh, you know, it's part of being a citizen. You serve your country. I mean, when I grew up, the draft and uh, an obligation of everyone over the age of 18, uh, you had to serve in the military. Today, we don't have a draft. So it's, uh, I, I think we're missing something. I think that time in the Army of understanding uh, and developing very, very close relationships with people. In my case, I didn't fight in a war, so lives didn't depend on it, but uh, there's a certain degree of camaraderie that develops. I think a lot of people get a lot of life's lessons by serving in the military, so I'm a big believer in in military service. Uh, uh, you know, I, I can't say that I did it purely out of patriotism, surely patriotism. I did it at that time. It was an obligation. And, and, and when, and when you think about the lessons learned in the military with, um, with leadership and discipline, how have you applied those learnings to your financial acumen and your approach to investing into companies? I don't think I've, I, I, I honestly, <laughs> I think it would be stretching it to say I've applied those, but you know, Maybe in a my, mindset, in book, maybe a mindset, maybe an approach. In my book, uh, uh, you you see the subtitle is you know fifty years in venture capital and never driving alone, uh, and and in it it talks a lot about uh, life having cumulative experiences, and that's you know one of the cumulative experiences that I've had in my life, and it's got to have had some impact. I can't pinpoint it, but. As I say, you know, uh, it all adds up to a career. And, uh, you know, part of mine was being in the service. And, and shifting back to, um, to your career, and I've heard you talk with great pride about how long your companies have existed, in, you know, considering the, term, the turnover in financial industry, you know, over the years. What, what do you attribute longevity to? What are some of those core attributes? Longevity of a firm or me personally? Uh, of, the, of a company. Oh, I think it's the uh, culture you develop. The uh, 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 well, obviously, it's the success in what you do uh, that builds a reputation for a firm. And at some point, it become that there's a degree of continuity that you just become part of the fabric of the industry. I mean, we, and I think you're referring to the fact that uh, a month ago we celebrated at. Uh, Apex, which was Alan Patrickoff's associate's name change when we became an international. It wasn't a different firm. Uh, we celebrated 50 years in business in the United States, Incredible. and then we celebrated 50 years in business over in London. 
and I said at that time, you know, there are very few financial institutions uh, that have lasted that long. And we can all recite the ones that went out of business in 2008, particularly. And so I take pride in the fact that uh, Apex is stronger now than it was when I left it in 2006. I mean, that, that's definitely a testament. And you, and you mentioned uh, the word culture. When you're building your organizations, when you're advising other organizations, how, how, how do you define culture within an organization? What are those key traits to a strong culture within well, a company? I, I have certain principles that I personally subscribe to that I can't even tell you that they're practiced widely uh, in firms that I've left sure. behind. But while I was there, and that is, I'm very inclusive. I, I, I picked up very long, long ago the concept that I didn't want to have a firm that operated like the Manhattan Project during World War II and building the atomic bomb where everybody had an assignment and they had no idea of what was going on besides what they personally did. Uh, it was done deliberately for secrecy. Uh, I believe just the yeah. opposite. I believe in as many people as possible being included in everything uh, so that they really feel that they are part of the, the firm. And I think that creates uh, consistency. It creates loyalty. And uh, I think it cr reduces turnover. And so I have always practiced the fact that uh, uh, even if it's an East Coast deal, I like to bring in someone from the West Coast to work on it jointly. Perspective. If it's uh, uh, I, I, anyone who's working with me, I don't just invite them to selective meetings. I I'm very inclusive. I like to uh, use the word family about the firm, about our companies we invest in, about the people who invest with us. Uh, we've I've had many entrepreneurs say, "I feel I don't feel like I'm uh, uh, just a number in the in the portfolio. I feel I'm part of the." You know, in this case, it was the Graycroft family, and I hope that'll be the same for primetime, to be part of the family. And uh, it just means that they don't just talk with one person and they're isolated, but they feel everybody is rooting for them and trying to help them. And, and that's a tremendous perspective, too. And that leads me to the next part about perspective. The last three years, for folks like myself, I'm, I'm 43, so I've been through 2008 recession and, and, late, and most recent with the pandemic. You've seen the ups and downs of the global economy. You've seen wars. From a resiliency perspective, you know, how, how are we all going to come out of this? What, what are some of those positives that we're going to come out on the other side from a business perspective? Coming out of what, this current cycle? The pandemic. Correct. I think, you know, it, like anything, I, you know, uh, Every negative presents an opportunity. Uh, and I think that, you know, I formed Primetime. We literally, literally formed it in March 2020. Uh, and most people were running for the roof and running to jump off the roof or running for the rafters. And uh, I said, this is a great time to start a new fund. Uh, I think that the same exists. I think that uh, people, you know, I remember years ago learning, whether it was Procter & Gamble or Unilever, I think it was Procter & Gamble, who said the time they got market share was always during bad times because their competitors were weakened uh, and they 
you had the capital, you could take advantage of those. But it takes strong, it's a lot of fortitude and self confidence, and uh, not run, you know, in the other direction. So I, uh, I think that the companies that make it through this period will probably be stronger. They'll have had a, uh, you know, setback uh, in their background of, of, of knowing how they deal with it. I mean, one of the concerns I have serious concerns, uh, let's say until just the last month or so, I don't want to reflect on what's happening today is that too many people sure. in the investment business, in the private investment business had never seen a down cycle. I mean, if you think about it, they never experienced yeah, it. I mean, let's say 2008 wasn't great, but I go back to 2000 and I say, you know, I, I don't think it was anybody in Greycroft who lived through the 2000 bubble. Uh, uh, certainly prime time were, were even more recent, so nobody did. Uh, and, you know, one of the benefits I bring is the perspective, which works positively and negatively, because, you know, I'm burdened by the fact that I've, I know things go the other way. And uh, uh, <laughs> I don't think this cycle is over yet. Uh and, uh, you know, you've seen all these firings, uh, people, are, but they're, out of this will come new strategies and, and uh, better, stronger companies because they've gotten rid of a lot of excess. And, uh, uh, you know, I would say that the next wave up could be a very big one. I hope so, too. Hey, everybody. First, I'd like to thank you all for spending time with me and my guest on the podcast. This show is my canvas to showcase amazing people from the world of recruiting, entrepreneurship, and leadership, and unpack their career journeys for everyone to learn from. But this show is also a business generator for me, as well as creating thought leadership and endless amazing content. And I've taken what I've learned in the past three years and over 200 recorded and 100 live shows and distilled it down into a digital playbook that I call the Pause Course. Now you could learn how I build, manage, and produce the podcast and use it to drive real business development and relationships. Today, I'm sharing all of my secrets behind the podcast, and you can get it all at thepausecourse.com. This course is for anyone, whether you're starting out or an advanced podcaster using it for B2B and B2C. It's filled with all of my insights, learnings, tips, tricks, and templates. So get it now at thepausecourse.com and learn all my secrets. Thanks. So let me let me ask you this question, and I and I would be surprised if you actually get this question asked a lot. But professionally, business wise, what is something that you you've never never been good at that you always wanted to be good at? Was there a certain skill in business? Was there a certain trait that no, you just I always wanted? I, I wanted to of? be a bridge builder, but that wouldn't have helped me in the venture business. Uh, uh, I'm sure there's transferable skills. No. Uh, no, I mean, I have a good sense of uh, marketing and consumerism. And uh, I, I, I would say probably, if you're pushing me, uh, I probably would be better better uh, suited for the business I'm in if I had had a deeper technical experience. My, tech, my technology know-how is strictly on-the-job training and listening and learning, but not... Uh, from any fundamental expertise. I didn't go to engineering school. I didn't, I, at my time, you didn't learn how to program computers. Uh, so uh, while I certainly can work a computer and do so, I am, uh, I wasn't trained in that area. 
Interesting. And and bridge building, where where did the and, and the reason I'm going back to bridge building, some of my earliest memories, I, I grew up in Brooklyn and I have very fond memories. I'm about seven or eight years old. And I used to build cardboard, I used to take cardboard boxes and build bridges with it. And I always kind of wanted to be an architect and I got into Legos and then somehow now I'm in business well, and you I should have stuck in it. You, you really had a lot of good talent there. You should have stuck with it. <laughs> I, I enjoy what I do now, but in and in turn, I'm I'm you know passing that on on to my to my kids there. Um, so getting back getting back to the topic du jour, um, another big movement in the last uh, you know ten fifteen years is social entrepreneurship. Do you feel it's superior in any way to traditional business building, or is it just more important to build you know economic value and utility? Well, that's a, a debate that is going on currently and is probably going to continue. I mean, there are, it is certainly a whole new area of focus. My ex-partner at Apex was a Sir Ronald Cohen who lives in London and Tel Aviv. And he is the, whereas I've gone back in the venture business, he has devoted his entire uh, life since 2004 to 2002, four, is to uh, uh, kind of foster the, uh, a field of uh, of, uh, of social impact investing. In fact, he's written a book called Impact. Uh, my book's called No Red Lights. Uh, moving ahead, his is Impact, and he he is uh, proselytized. He's head of the G twenty committee on social impact investing. Uh, he's formed a fund for that. Uh, uh, he's done it purely up to now, totally on a nonprofit basis. But I think that he is, um, uh, he's, uh, so, I, so I've gotten to know the industry very well through him. And uh, my middle son has recently started a company called Athletes Unlimited, which he did with Jonathan Soros, George Soros' son who's financed it. And my son is president. My son, Jonathan is president. Jonathan Soros is CEO. And that is a company devoted to promoting women's professional sports. But he has done that as what they call a B corporation. And I assume you're familiar with that, which is, has, you know, give back aspects to it. Uh, and he, and he has, uh, mm-hmm. set up a financing where investors have come in where they're capped capped at a 10% return and has given large equity ownership to the women athletes. So it's a, that is its own form of social entrepreneurship in the sports industry. Uh, uh, there is, you know, I don't think the verdict is really in yet, uh, as to, you know, what, you know, originally it, the first impact was taking investing in, people who are going to improve recidivism of uh, criminals coming out of jail and was Mm -hmm. doing, it was a quasi public private partnership where the investors were given an incentive, were giving a very, very, very low return basically. But if they improved the, the, the recidivism rates in the prison, it was mostly in England at that time, uh, they would get bonus interest that was the original concept interesting uh but now uh it's spread to all you know all over the world people are focused on it and we're even at a point where the sec is talking seriously about legislating so that there will be you know, in a balance sheet they'll have one sheet of columns of the actual financials 
that are produced under GAP, and there'll be a separate column with the with the uh, social, economic, climate, health, whatever impact they're having on society on you know being positive or negative, and coming up with a, a you know a kind an attempt to uh, quantify what. You know, everyone says we cut down green, you know, carbon emissions uh, right. or whatever. And but they're doing it at the same time. They're doing something else that's that's creating a problem. Offsetting. So the idea is to come up with a, you know, net number that shows whether it's a positive or negative impact for what they're trying to do. Uh, so anyhow, I think it's a field that is relatively new. It's very uh, it's a buzzword. Uh, a lot of institutions and family groups are, tr- are investing in it. And I think that the verdict is in, not in yet, but it, it, it seems like it's going in the right direction. And I, and I certainly appreciate that. And, and you mentioned family and, and something that you're extremely proud of. What What, what is that key over the years of balancing, you know, the, the, the f- being there and having the time for your family and still running an incredibly successful business? That's something I struggle with as an entrepreneur. I'm about six years into my own entrepreneurship journey of being my own business owner and being able to put my foot on the gas when I need to keep the business moving. And, and at the same time, making sure I'm there for my family. What's, what's the secret to it, Alan? No, well, I think that you're, you know, the uh, idea is to, uh, you know, have some kind of balance. I can't say I've done a perfect job. I've tried very hard. Uh, I think my son's, are doing a better job with their children and really, you know, uh, I, you know, of course I had to scratch a little harder. Is it generational? I, little, I was about to say it's a generational. I had to scratch a little harder. I had nothing. And they do have the benefit of having a family that's Fair been point. relatively successful. It gives you a little bit of uh, cushion and uh, enables you to do things and, and to, and to be a, be able to take more time off. I, I, I found it very hard to take time off. I was a driven entrepreneur to build a business, but you know, I built two businesses and I'm now in the process of building a third. So I have, uh, I have some things to my credit, but I think I, I probably missed some opportunities, although I tried very hard to go to parent teacher day and, and uh, as many ball games as I could pass. I had only sons and, uh, even now, I go, you know, to see my grandchildren, which are mostly almost all girls. Uh, go to their yeah, events, go to their grandparents' day, read their papers, uh, help with their applications. So i uh, I've tried, I've tried to be a good uh, parent and grandparent, uh, but I can't say I'm perfect. And, and, and no one is. So let I, I love this. And, and I really don't get to talk about this much. Let's talk about the, the, the idea and concept of legacy. When your time comes, how do you want to be remembered, Alan? Uh, how do I want to remember? Um, uh, well, as you know, I'm guessing I, I walked the marathon this year, this week and on Sunday. I how, you feel, how are you feeling? I'm fine. Uh, I was the oldest person who finished this year, and the belief is that I'm the oldest person that finished the New York Marathon ever. Uh, but I can't prove that. Yeah, high five, virtual high five on yeah. that one right there. That is what I'm talking about. Yeah. So uh, I did that a lot to 
be an inspiration to older people. And in fact, I formed primetime partners and decided to become the poster child saying, uh, if I can, uh, do it, you can do it. Uh, and I, uh, really, uh, wanted to inspire people to not go. That's what my book is about, which by the way, your listeners can order on Amazon. Oh, I'm getting to uh, it. I'm getting to it, sir. Don't worry. Um, you can put up a link <laughs> if you want. That's next on my yeah. list. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, I, I, it, 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 it has a bifurcated audience. One, one is younger people to inspire them to do lots of interesting things in their life and not become myopic. And it's for older people to say, don't, don't, uh, you know, say you're 60, be forced into retirement and move to Florida and uh, rest. If you subscribe to the philosophy I have, which is I'm going to live to 114, at 60, you've only lived half your life. You got half left. You better do something <laughs> interesting with it or you're going to get bored. And, you know, they're going to be uh, most people on your call. I don't know who they are, what their ages, but their chance of living to 100 are very high today. So, uh, I say, uh, uh, so that's part of my legacy is to inspire older people. And the other is, uh, to build, I would say to build a good reputation. I think how you treat people, uh, along the way, uh, sticks with you. You can't get away from that. And either you have a good reputation or a bad one. And, uh, uh I, I always return phone calls immediately. I write letters by hand to for condolences or or or, or thank yous. I, uh, I I try to be responsive and giving advice. I'm not as good at answering emails, and I do have a limited amount of time, so I don't want to encourage everybody to start mm-hmm. calling or writing me. But I <laughs> I try very hard, and I think I appreciate part that. of it is uh, you know I've gotten almost two thousand. Uh, likes and comments from the announcement of my running the marathon uh, this week. I think people, it resonates with people and, uh, and there are a lot of people around who I've touched their lives and I hope in a positive way. So as I say to my children, uh, they're not going to be poor, but they're not going to be in the league of, you know, I'm not in the billionaire class or even close to that. And I'm, and I made a point of, you know, don't get carried away by what you read in the paper or you think. Uh, but what I will leave you with is my name is not going to hurt you. Uh, that I can promise. Love it. And I talk about this all the time. It's the how. Everyone talks about the why, which is important, our purpose. But the how you live your life, how you interact and how you leave people feeling. So let's talk about the book. Let's talk about No Red Lights. What? People were asking you for a long time to write a book, right? They were like, yeah. what's going on yeah. here, Alan? When are you putting this book together? So let me ask you about the process. What, what did you learn about yourself through the process of writing a book? Well, I, I, I want to say I learned about myself. I learned a lot about recalling uh, uh, things that have happened in my life and, and reaching out to people who I was involved with at various times to try to refresh my memory. And, uh, uh, when I put it all together, uh, I, you know, looked in the mirror and said, you know, you've lived, lived an interesting life and it's, you know, uh, 
It's one of the things I wrote a book for to share with other people. It's not, it's not a book about all my successes. In fact, there are a lot of failures and mistakes in the book. Uh, there are some life lessons in it. Uh, but, uh, I, you know, you, you start to think about things you want to convey to other people as to how they might live their life, not preaching, but to say, you know, don't think about some things that, that could have an impact on you. And, uh, I would say based on the response I've gotten from the book that it's having exactly the impact I had hoped. And, and, and what is that takeaway you want people to walk away from after reading the book? I want young people to say, boy, this guy had an interesting life. There's no reason why I couldn't do exactly the same thing. And for older people to say, boy, this guy started his second business at age 72, his third business at 85. What am I doing uh, <laughs> going to, to being playing golf every day? And uh, I'm 61 and I start the same business all over again. Or why don't I become a poet? Or why don't I go back to law school? Or why don't I do something different? But uh, I'd say more focused on saying, why don't you go back into your same business and do the business all over again? Uh, you've got the best Rolodex. You've got the best experience. Uh, and you have the energy. So put it to work. I love it. That's that sound. And as we bring it home here to, to wrap up the show, I, I am honored and privileged to have incredible guests like yourself that have such a wealth of information and knowledge and experience. Alan, what, what is what is the single greatest piece of advice that you have ever received in your life that you take action on daily? It could be a mantra, something you say when you wake up in the morning or before you go to bed at night, something that a piece of advice that you receive that drives you? You're asking a lot of questions. You wanted me to invent things that I are not natural, natural. Uh, that's the, well, that's what makes for an interesting show. No, I've done 250 I, of these. I don't, wake up every, <laughs> I don't wake up every day. I, I, it, I, I would say, I'd say it's, I wake up every day to conduct my life in the way I've been conducting it for the last 50 years. Is Again, the subtitle, it's the book is called No Red Lights. And the subtitle is 50 Years Reflections on Life, 50 Years in Venture Capital and Never Driving Alone. And it, 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 the idea is that everything in life is cumulative. You're building a reputation. You're building a career. Uh, everything sticks with you. And the people you're meeting now, you're going to grow with. And uh, you better treat people nicely if you want to be uh, – have that stay with you in terms of building a career and that you can pass along the reputation to your family. Uh, I would tell you my grandchildren, uh, I, there's not a day that goes by when my grandchildren don't say, I, you make me very proud, Grandpa. I, I can't it. tell you all my friends who saw you in the marathon or saw you do this or saw you do that or heard about this or read your book. Uh, and to me, that's more the, more satisfaction than I could have hoped. I love it. And Alan, la last but not least, you look back on on your esteemed life and you think about those those hard times, those tough times in business and life when you had to dig down deep inside and harness that inner tenacity that you have in spades. And on the flip side of that, when you want to show gratitude and appreciation for this life, this family, this generations of of of, of children and grandchildren, what keeps you focused in life? Alan Patrickoff, what is your North Star? Huh. Boy, you ask tough questions. Uh, 
No, I, 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 I'd have to repeat just what I said. I mean, I think I've, I've given you that my North Star. It's, uh, it, I think I've given you plenty of things that I, uh, that's that, that I'm conscious of in my life. You know, uh, every day someone comes into me to present a new investment opportunity, and they sit and they could be telling me they're going to build a rocket ship to the moon, and I could say these guys they must be nuts rocket right. ship to the moon and i then remind myself to this guy or girl he that is not he's not coming in here to be frivolous or a crazy person he this is his child this is he really believes in building this rocket ship and so i treat people with the respect that this this is like their child and i think that that's the way I approach life in general. It's why you know how hard I tried to work on getting this. I could have easily walked away from this conversation. Uh, that, me that meant the world to me, well, sir. Uh, 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 but that's the way I, so that after you're finished, you'll say, you know, this guy really, you know, he wasn't flip or casual about this podcast. He took it seriously and gave no me good. all the time I needed and, and, and respected that, you know, this is my, my meaning your, uh, uh, Adam's uh, project and you and you're very serious about it and I treat it that way and, and it, it may be for all I know there's only five people listening have a, a couple a couple a couple a couple more than that but if five people who are listening really truly listen to your message and let that sink in Alan I want to thank you so much for joining me hang with me one moment here as I sign up I want everyone I'm going to link up the book in the show notes and you could also visit caring caringkindnyc.org. Any other links or places where people could find you and connect with well, you? Well, Caring, Caring Kind was the organization that helped my wife who had passed away two years ago from Alzheimer's. And I uh, I uh, decided to run the marathon uh, and uh, raise money for this organization, which is a great resource for anyone who's facing, who has someone with neurological problems and uh, we raised almost $600,000, uh, uh, which I'm very pleased about. It's a great organization. I would say throw one other thing, uh, which I think is helpful to you, Adam. Uh, yeah. I approach everything I do, including this, this interaction. I would say to your listeners, if you listen to this, if you have listened to this for 30 or 40 minutes, if you got one idea, it's worth it. Don't think about 20 ideas. If you go to one, if you go to a conference, get one idea. If you have one dinner and you meet one interesting person, consider it worthwhile. And that's one, that is my, my mantra to everyone who's ever worked for me and how I practice my life. And that's how I've met so many people and been exposed to, I try everything. And that's what it's all about. Alan, I want to thank you so much for joining with me. Hang with me for one moment here. And everyone listening, I truly hope that you learned one thing and you take action on it. Remember, you can find out more at thepodcast.com for all the social media channels. Remember, take care of each other, look out for one another, and catch us next week for another great episode of The Podcast. Take care, everybody. Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon, jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search The Podcast on LinkedIn. 
And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com. <laughs>